0: All right. Good morning, St. Paul's. Thanks for joining the live stream. So uh, this was not planned, but this is our third week in a row now with our service being live stream only. Three weeks ago, we had the power outage. Uh, Two weeks ago, it rained. And then uh, this week, we um, were planning on having our membership meeting right after service. And in order to encourage as many people to participate in that as possible, we decided to uh, have the whole service online, so we can just transition right to the meeting online after this. Uh, but next week, the plan is for us to be back uh, assuming the weather cooperates, meeting outside uh, in the parking lot right by the lake and above the mural uh, at the millworks and I just want to say if you have not attended a in- person worship service uh, yet, an outdoor in- person worship service. Um, I really want to encourage you to consider coming. Um, We're going to keep providing the live stream because we want to respect the fact that you know given people have concerns about this virus and different levels of comfort uh, we know that not everyone is going to be ready to be meeting in person but we just want to be clear that we are making efforts to make things as safe as we can. we're, of course, we're outside, which reduces the chances of transmission. Uh, we have marks on the parking lot that are each six to ten feet apart, and we ask people to sit on those marks. So wherever you're sitting, there's definitely some distance between you and everyone else. Um, we're asking everybody to wear masks unless they are seated on one of those marks. So if you're coming or going, you're expected to wear a mask and we do communion with individually wrapped elements that are handed out uh, by someone wearing gloves. Um, so we're doing a lot to try and make sure that we are safe and, and careful. And uh, I don't know, I think that coming into September, it's gonna be really nice to be meeting outside because it's gonna be a little bit cooler. The sun is gonna be a little less intense. So. It should be really nice. I mean, maybe in, in future years we'll want to meet outside whether we have to or not, just because it's kind of fun to be outdoors. Um, and so I just want to say, if there is anything that we're not doing that you think we could do to make you feel more comfortable about attending in person, uh, email me, let us know, because we want to do what we can to make as many of you feel like you can be there uh, as possible. So, uh, I don't know about you, but this has been a tough week for me. Uh, The way I would put it is, I have felt the brokenness of the world in quite a few ways this week. And um, probably the biggest way is, um, well, many of you know that Chuck Redfern, a beloved member of our church who has been battling cancer for over four years now, recently had to begin a new round of treatment and shortly after that he developed a really really bad pneumonia and had to go to the hospital and for the last week Chuck has been on life support in the hospital. I know many of you have been praying for him. I I thank you for that. Uh, We are going to pray for him again during our membership meeting. Um, I was able to visit Chuck on uh, Thursday in the hospital. And fortunately, he was actually uh, very lucid. When I went to see him, uh, he re- he recognized me, he could clearly hear me praying for him. And uh, I read a scripture passage for him. As I was driving to the hospital, I asked God to put some scripture passage in my mind to give to Chuck. And the scripture passage that came to mind was Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. Uh, which, this was not planned, just happens to be the passage that uh, Steve picked for our invocation this morning, so kind of neat, but um, I've been reflecting on that passage ever since then, and so I think it's a good one for us to look at this morning, because it's a passage that helps us to deal with the brokenness of the world. It's a passage that helps us to deal with trials, And most of us feel like we're in a time of trials. The last time I preached, two weeks ago, I I preached a message titled Perspective for Trials. Uh, This is going to be part two, Perspective for Trials, part two. Now, just a quick refresher. uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at a passage from the book of James. And I said it gives us at least three action steps for keeping perspective in the midst of trials. And I just want to go over those real quick. First one remember what life is all about. Um, Life is not just about being healthy, wealthy, and comfortable. Uh, If we have a biblical view of our lives, what our lives are all about is learning to be more like Jesus, growing in our character, growing in our faith. And if we recognize that, then we have a source of joy, even when things get tough. If that's the real purpose of our lives, tough times can't destroy that purpose. In fact, tough times can actually uh, inspire us to rise to that purpose, can assist us in reaching that purpose. So number one perspective for trials, remember what life is all about. Number two, ask God for wisdom. James tells us that God delights in giving us wisdom. That is a, a request that he loves to answer. And the truth is what we need during hard times, more than anything, is wisdom. We need the ability to see things from God's perspective. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing that we should do in order to keep perspective in trials is trust in God's wisdom, not the world's. Um, If we want peace in the midst of trials, we have to resolve to trust and follow God's wisdom. Uh, If God's wisdom says that the purpose of our lives is to become more like Christ, to develop in our character, but the world's wisdom says the point of life is to win, 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 be successful, have lots of money, have lots of stuff. Well, if we're bouncing back and forth between those two perspectives, we're never going to have peace. If we really are going to have peace in the midst of trials, we have to pick God's wisdom and hold fast to it. That's the perspective we need to cling to. So that was perspective for trials part one. Today, is part two. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to that passage, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, this one that uh, God brought to my mind when I was going to see Chuck. Um, So yeah, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. As you can see from this passage, the Apostle Paul was a guy who knew what it was like to suffer trials. Uh, He describes himself and his fellow missionaries as hard-pressed on every side, as perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Now, this is a little bit of a personal aside uh, that I want to share, but I find Paul's most relatable line in this section, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever really been persecuted for my faith. Um, I've never literally been struck down for my faith, but I have been perplexed. Uh, often I find myself asking questions that are hard to answer as I try to understand God and understand the scriptures and understand life. And I remember once when I was feeling especially confused, you know, just trying to make sense of it all, thinking through theology and philosophy, I came across this passage and I read those words, we are perplexed, but not in despair. And it was deeply moving to me because I felt like it was telling me, it's okay to have questions that you're not sure how to answer. If we reflect honestly on life, with all of its beauty and its ugliness, sometimes we are going to be perplexed. We're going to be baffled. We're going to be confused. We're going to feel like things don't always make sense. Um, Being a follower of Christ does not mean that we have all the answers all the time, but it does mean that we have a reason not to despair. And that's significant because I don't care who you are, what religion you are, what philosophy of life you have, you have reasons to be perplexed. If you are reflecting honestly on this mysterious thing called life that you're going through right now, you're going to have questions you don't have answers to. You're going to have reasons to be confused. But what makes us as followers of Christ different is that we have a reason not to be in despair. But anyway, uh, Paul describes what he and his missionary companions are going through. And if you know about Paul's life, you know that he is not exaggerating at all here. Uh, Paul was imprisoned multiple times. He was stripped in public and beaten. Uh, He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a poisonous snake on an island after that shipwreck. Uh, Later in the same letter, he's going to tell us that on five different occasions, he was flogged by the Jewish leaders 39 times. Now, why 39 times? Well, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it, it was said that the maximum physical punishment, short of death, that a person could be given was 40 lashes. And so some theorize that the Jews would do 39 lashes because they didn't want to risk miscounting and possibly breaking the law. So the point here is Paul is saying that on five separate occasions, he was given the harshest physical punishment uh, by the Jews short of death on five separate occasions. And all of this suffering, all of this torment, Uh, was just because Paul was trying to do God's work because he was doing what he could to share the gospel. And some people were talking about Paul and they were saying things like, look at what a mess Paul's life is. Look at all the hardship that he's been through. How could God possibly be with this guy? Uh, It doesn't really seem like the favor of God is on him. And some of us have a tendency to think similarly today. Some of us think that when bad things happen to us, that's a sign of God's disapproval. You know, that's why many people say, as soon as something bad happens to them, say they lose their job or they get a a bad health diagnosis, the first thing they say is, Why God? Why me? What I do? Right. But part of what Paul is telling us here is that trials are not a sign that God has abandoned us. Uh, What Paul is saying is in keeping with what Jesus taught before him uh, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Instead of seeing our trials as a sign that God is abandoning us, Paul tells us to have a different perspective. Uh, Now, if you're taking notes, I am going to offer three ideas that Paul gives to help us have perspective in our trials. And here's the first one. How we handle trials can be a sign to the world of Jesus's power. How we handle trials can be a sign to the world of Jesus's power. The way Paul puts this is we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, I know that's a confusing sentence. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. What I, what I hear Paul saying there is we are, in a sense, reenacting what Jesus did. Jesus suffered, and his suffering led to a resurrection, led to victory, led to life. And in keeping with that pattern, Paul is saying we are suffering so that Christ's resurrection power can be revealed to the world. Because Paul and the apostles were willing to suffer to share the gospel, many people are coming to believe. Because as people observe their suffering, they are seeing the depth of their conviction. You don't suffer or die for a belief unless you really are convinced in your heart that that belief is the truth. The reason that the apostles could endure so much mistreatment and persecution and yet continue to share their faith is because they were utterly convinced of what they were saying. Right? They were utterly convinced that. Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that eternal life is found through him. Their actions make absolutely no sense unless they really did believe those things. Now, if the apostles had lived cushy lives, you know, if they had received money and fame for what they were doing, then we would always have reason to wonder, were they just conning people? Were they just like those cult leaders who come up with some story in order to con people and um, satisfy their their egos and their wallets? But because the apostles suffered, because they were despised by the world and constantly struggling, constantly facing backlash, we today have reason to trust their sincerity, right? Right. We can look at their lives and we could say, those guys must have really believed what they preached. So one way of putting it is because the apostles carried in their bodies the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus is revealed to us and to every generation since then. Now, I'm not saying that if you are going to share the gospel, you have to be constantly suffering uh, in order to be effective. But what Paul wants us to realize is that trials are an opportunity to demonstrate the power of Christ. There is a special opportunity that comes through trials, through carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. Trials are an opportunity opportunity to show the world that we really do get our life from Jesus that there really is something to this resurrection power that we talk about to talk about <clears throat> um, trials are an opportunity to show that we really do have a source of hope that is not dependent on anything in this world so that's number one in order to have the right perspective in trials, we have to remember how we handle trials is a sign to the world of Jesus's power. Second thing this passage tells us is that our trials are small compared to the glory that awaits us. I think verse 17 is incredible. This is one of the verses that Steve read for invocation. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Even though Paul was in and out of prison and beaten multiple times within an inch of his life, he thought of all of that as light and momentary troubles. Now, how could he say that? The reason he could say that is because he was thinking of his present life in light of eternity— Right. Our present sufferings can be very intense, but if an eternity of joy with God is what the future really holds, any suffering in this life will one day feel light and momentary by comparison. Now, I want to be very clear here. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like I am downplaying the depth of suffering that can be experienced in this life. If we, are not, if we are not naive, if our eyes are open to the world around us, we should be able to recognize that there is an unfathomable amount of suffering in the world. I think of what Chuck has been through over the last four years with his cancer and, and my heart just breaks at the magnitude of, of that suffering. I, I think of the plagues that human beings have suffered over the course of history, plagues that make this pandemic that we're in right now uh, seem like child's play, and all that without modern medicine. I think of people trying to go through surgeries in the days before anesthesia, which is most of human history. I I think of the wars uh, that have caused so much death and injury and, and loss. I think of all the emotional pains that we experience, uh, emotional pains of loneliness and rejection and betrayal and depression and anxiety. And I just want to be clear that I am not making light of any of that. And I don't think Paul is making light of any of that either. You know, Paul didn't enjoy suffering any more than we do. There's a place in this uh, same book, 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about having a thorn in his flesh. And he doesn't mean that literally. That is a metaphor for some source of suffering in his life. And uh, Paul says that he prayed repeatedly for God to remove this thorn in his flesh. Because Paul didn't enjoy suffering. It was still significant to him, right? But Paul recognized something that should be a source of hope and peace for all of us. And that is that in comparison to the glory that is coming, these sufferings really, really will one day seem tiny. Right now, these sufferings might seem like an enormous ocean that is drowning us, engulfing us. But in comparison to the eternal joy that awaits us, they will be like a drop in the ocean. In comparison to the joy ahead, they really are light and momentary. You know, if you think of your life like a scale where one side represents your present life and the other side represents your eternal life with God, the joy of eternity completely tips the scale. Uh, if you had stones representing every sorrow in your life no amount of sorrows could shift the scale to the other side because for those of us who are in Christ the joy of what's coming is just so much weightier that is what paul is saying it's an amazing thought finally Uh, The third thing that this passage tells us for perspective in trials is that our trials add to the glory that awaits us. Our trials add to the glory that awaits us. Notice in verse 17, uh, Paul doesn't just say our troubles are light and momentary in comparison to the eternal glory, that glory that will outweigh them. He says... Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I don't understand exactly how that works. Uh, Paul could be saying that the sufferings that they are experiencing in order to share the gospel are achieving an eternal glory in the sense that more people will be with Christ for eternity on account of these sufferings. And I do think that's part of what Paul is saying, but I think what he's saying applies to more kinds of suffering than simply the suffering that we do for the sake of mission work. Because one of the kinds of suffering that he mentions is the fact that they are outwardly wasting away. And I think what he's talking about there is the kind of suffering that simply comes from the breakdown of our bodies, right, from aging, from losing our physical capabilities. The truth is that outwardly, we are all wasting away. Uh, All of us have hearts with a limited, finite number of beats in them, right? And the the clock is counting down. That's part of the human condition. And that is one of the sufferings that Paul has in mind uh, when he calls, calls these sufferings light and momentary. So what Paul seems to be saying is that the sufferings we go through now, even the sufferings related to aging, they will actually increase our joy in eternity. Uh, They won't just be compensated for in eternity, but they will actually add to our joy in eternity. Our joy is going to be greater because of that previous suffering in this life. Now again, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But I'm reminded of the fact that if I ever lose something, then I appreciate it so much more when I get it back. You know, for example, I don't usually feel really thankful to be in good health. I just kind of take it for for granted that I'll be healthy. Um, but if I spend a couple of days with a nasty fever on the couch and I'm nauseated, when I finally feel better, I really appreciate feeling healthy. I think, man, this is great just being able to go about my day without a fever and not not feeling sick. And similarly, I think that when this pandemic is finally completely over, uh, many of us are going to appreciate things that we took for granted in the past, you know, like being able to eat together in groups and and not worry about being a health risk. Uh, Being able to come to church and worship indoors and sing and shake people's hands. Um, Being able to go to theaters and restaurants and concerts and just not worry about whether we're being a public health risk. Because we've lost those things, we'll probably appreciate them a lot more when we finally get them back. And so I can imagine that if in this life we have suffered a lot, we have lost a lot in heaven, being freed from that suffering is going to fill us with a depth of joy and appreciation that is beyond our imagination. Uh, The joy of what was lost being found is going to be immeasurable. So whatever you're going through, Whatever trials you're facing, I encourage you this morning in the words of the Apostle Paul, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. See in your trials an opportunity to display to the world the resurrection power of Jesus. This is a world that badly needs signs of Jesus's resurrection power. So see in those trials an opportunity to give that to the world. Um, Recognize that your trials will be like a drop compared to the ocean of joy that is coming. And recognize that your trials now will actually add to your joy in eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed. Father, I pray that we would feel your renewal. Lord, I pray that that those words would ring very true in our experience, Lord, that we would have an internal source of joy from you that transcends all circumstances. Lord, I pray specifically for that that sense of being renewed uh, for for Chuck Redfern right now. Lord, I I pray for that sense of renewal for uh, our church and for the entire church throughout the world that has struggled with knowing exactly how to handle uh, this pandemic situation, Lord. May you be renewing us internally every day. And Lord, may the hope of what is to come truly give us joy in the present and give us perspective no matter what we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen.